Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. The point of all that entitlement and stuff coming out is so that it can come out to be addressed so that they can find some boundaries so that they can find out what they're actually seeking. So they need the boundaries of the older generations who get responsibility better than they do without taking on all of the tunnel vision, you know, excess need for safety, stagnation stuff of the older generations. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from Clear and Open. Being in a position to assign responsibility or in the position of having responsibilities assigned to you, brings up all of our deepest existential issues with power and free will. When you try to put someone in a role, it can make their unconscious need for control feel threatened. But through that friction and recognizing the consequences of their actions is where a sense of freedom truly emerges, a true sense of freedom. Our beliefs have to crash with the boundaries of reality in order to discover genuine truth for us. This series is excerpted from my online course entitled Essential Leadership Processes, which you can find at courses.clearandopen.com. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click a link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. This sort of reaches a question that I have about like institutional order and where does that fit in? Can an institution sort of lead people away from the divine order? Or is an institution necessarily there to make us learn something? And so it is. Ultimately, are both of those true? An institution like a religion? Well, uh, the example I'm engaging with most now is a university, but a religion is probably an easier one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, there are pros and cons, right? It's like... Uh, if you go to a university, uh, you're going to get their version of what's important, you know, and uh, as opposed to uh, it, you, you could just get a library card and do a lot of self-study. Would you push yourself as hard as the professors would? Uh, maybe in some cases, maybe not. But of course, when the when you get pushed by those professors and held accountable, that's coming from their value system, which is accredited based on letters after their name and all of their experience and whatnot. But what if, you know, again, all of that's inside a system. So, um, yeah, I'd say inevitably there are, are pros and cons and you just you step back from a spiritual perspective and go, okay, well, if you end up in a university, then it must mean there's supposed to be something you need to learn from university. For me, it was the, one of the main points was to learn a serious disdain for academia. Uh, and I, I barely graduated. I, I almost couldn't take it. I, I graduated with the exact minimum credits needed to do so. 
and um, was doing independent studies. Like I was going nuts and, and I didn't realize why, but I would look back and, and say, now I would say, I would, um, in retrospect, I'd say I needed to take that to a logical extreme, which is where we started the conversation to experience how it just didn't work for me. And I'm not running down the institution because everything is useful for someone at some certain time. And many people, it's exactly what they need and they thrive and it's that's where they're going to learn their lessons. But it was not where my destiny uh, lay. And for a part of me, I thought it would. I was had visions of being a professor and going to grad school and all that. And uh, it was like my experience of academia was so torturous it steered me away from that path. And that was why I realized. So uh, is that a negative about academia? No, because its limits were useful for me. You know, I got stronger from dealing with its limits. For someone else, its limits might be no problem at all. That might be exactly what they need. So yeah, you sort of spoke to that. Um, every model has its limits and every model can serve a person uh, or not serve a person in any moment at any time. But I would say, all of that being true, I would also assert that there is a kind of hierarchy of evolution um, that can easily show that academia is a... Um, it's run by a mind-first, will-first, understanding-first orientation toward reality, which is way better than a belief based one. It's better than that, but it's relatively... The belief-based one is basically childlike, and the mind-based one is teenage, and an experience-based one is the mature way. But just because I would assert that as objective truth, I'd assert that as transjective truth or metajective truth, because that's sort of... It's sort of like, um, you know... Is a 10-year-old better than a five-year-old? Sure, in all sorts of ways. But the five-year-old's being where they are. That's their being where they are. They're not supposed to be like the 10-year-old. So in one way, you can say, well, the 10-year-old is more advanced. In another way, you could say they're both perfect for where they are. Both are true. So that answer the question there? How did I do there? Yeah, okay, good. Um, so with all of... So all of what we said so far today is in a business, or if you have a job, or if you're a student, if you're in any situation where you're either giving responsibilities to someone or receiving responsibilities from someone, you may not realize it, but your deepest, most existential power issues, issues with the divine, freedom, free will, free won't, all of it's right there in your face. And that's why managing people is so hard. <laughs> it took me 40 minutes or so to be able to get to that punchline. That's why managing people. And that's why being an employee is so hard or a student is so hard. Anytime you're in an accountability relationship, it recapitulates your relationship with your parents, your relationship with the divine, the, the boundaries of life itself. And you're confronted with, here's this thing I got to do, in quotes, I got to do, but I don't want to do it. I mean, that's it. That's it. How do we square ourselves with that? How, what will we do 
when we encounter something that we have a knee-jerk, I don't want to do it reaction to. That, that's a profound spiritual moment of, will you play victim because you took the job or you enrolled in the university or whatever, you hired the person. Oh man, I don't want to do the paperwork for you know this new employee. Well, you hired them, right? So why don't you want to do it? And if you really follow down that rabbit hole, you'll eventually run into likely a part of you that just doesn't want to be here because being on this planet is really, really difficult. This is not a vacation planet. It's the edges are hard. The consequences are um, edgy. It's, it's heavy here. And if you don't remember being uh, as a soul in other planes of existence, you may not realize that, but this is, you know, it's, it's sort of like um, the deeper you go in water, the pressure goes up. This is the deepest place, this frequency of consciousness that we're in. It's the deepest. There is no deeper place than this is my truth in my experience and my memory. It's the deepest part. We're at the bottom of the consciousness ocean. And so when you're at the deepest place in uh, the frequencies of consciousness, What's good about that, right? You may be asking, why on earth, if this is so difficult and, and hard and the consequences are edgy and things hurt a lot here, why on earth would we come here? Well, it's sort of like, um, uh, have you ever had a uh, swelling-related injury and then you go up in an airplane and it swells up a whole lot more? It, it makes things worse here. That's the opposite. That's a less dense thing, but hopefully you can manage the metaphor. Whatever wounds you have, whatever issues you have, the pressure of this place blows it up so that you can deal with it because you cannot heal what you do not feel. And that's true for reasons, not only because it rhymes. <laughs> you can't heal what you don't feel. This is why people who are addicted to substances it's well known in the substance abuse world, they can't deal with their addiction unless they stop using because the using is numbing down the feeling. So as an addiction counselor, my friend of mine used to say, if you stop using, you'll feel better. You'll feel pain better. You'll feel depression better. You'll feel everything better. And then we can actually heal why you're using the substance in the first place. So one of the features, if you will, of existence in this realm of consciousness is the pressure is so great that it elicits up all of our deepest issues in ways that are impossible to ignore. That's why this place is such a mess because everyone's shit is on parade and it's only getting worse. So it seems. Uh, why? aided and abetted by the scary but hopefully really good thing of extreme subjectivism, right? Because extreme subjectivism, oh, it's hard to even swallow me saying this because there's a part of me that really doesn't like this. Extreme, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I have a part that vehemently disagrees with what I'm about to say, but this is my truth. Extreme subjectivism, it, the purpose of it in the grand meta of things is to put so much false entitlement and arrogance and um, misguided self-trust in people 
that their completely cockamamie points of view will come out into the world and see the light of day and then crash into the boundaries of reality. They can't crash into the boundaries of reality if they don't come out, right? So all of this talk, you know, I mean, it's different. Now we're divided over the coronavirus. Before we were divided over Trump. No, 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 no. The division was already there, right? So you could say, oh, Trump is a bad guy. He's dividing the country. In, in content, sure, you could say that. In context, you could go, hmm, this is the perfect thing to reveal the division that was already there. Because no human being is capable of dividing even three people in a room, much less 300 million. You see, the divisions must already be there. The latent racism from slavery, which really wasn't that long ago, and whatever. Everybody's just been, everybody's been being polite and holding their tongue, tongue with the name of getting along with each other. Well, that's cool. I think we should be able to get along with each other. But if we're all on our best behavior and nobody's saying what they think, then we're never going to get to the bottom of truth, are we? Right? How well does a romantic relationship work if the two of you are on your best behavior being sure to never say anything that will upset the other person? Right? That kills the relationship. It dies because neither person is being themselves. So typically we do that. And then somebody slips or somebody acts based on a thought that they didn't realize they had. And then there's a big fight. And then ideally, you arrive at some deeper truth through the conflict. Remember the, um, the kanji for harmony in Japanese is two forces coming together, finding a third direction, like the roof of a house. That's the idea. And the, the, idea, is that the, the idea is that the purpose of conflict is harmony. The purpose of it is harmony. That harmony does not happen through everybody being performing on their best behavior, but through conflict. That's how we learn through pain, which the density of this realm pushes up because of the tense amount of pressure. So, um, you know, if you've read uh, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, that's uh, she she writes a uh, hopefully fictitious example of how that could go, where um, you know the the well, I don't know, summarize a thousand page book in a few sentences, where basically the um, the the handout uh, culture, the the privatizing uh, profit and collectivizing risk dynamics get taken to an extreme, and the ex- excess liberalism gets taken to extreme. Basically, everyone with points of view that are not in reality get taken to their logical extremes, and the world destroys itself and starts over with about you know a dozen or two people in a little gulch in Colorado <laughs> as a kind of new Adam and Eve kind of thing. I don't know. But that's why does it make sense that we as human beings would be headed down that path? Well, because that's what any happens to any individual, right? Any individual between the ages of 18 and 25 or so concretizes their worldview. This is what I think about men, women, me, other people, God, whatever, everything. They concretize it like a model and then they test the model. And they don't have to be doing this consciously. Most people don't do this at all. They're not doing it consciously at all. They say, this is what I think the deal is. This is the point in my life. This is the point of life in general, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they live. And then somewhere between 28 and 32, life kicks their ass, doesn't it? Almost reliably. That's the first Saturn returns between 28 and 32. That's where the life says, okay, show's over. 
principles one, two, and three were fine. Principles eight, nine, and 12, they got to go. And you go, oh man, reeling. You get up after the eight count given to you by the referee of life and you cobble together another set of values. Okay, well, I'm going to lose this one. I'm going to try this one. I think I got it now. And then you get clobbered again between the ages of 36 and 40. Not always. I'm just speaking generally from my experience and what I see. And then if you're lucky, by the time you're 43, 44, you've licked your wounds, you've recovered from your first or second divorce. um, And then you finally have learned enough of your life lessons to be like, all right, I think I got it now. And then hopefully in your 50s, you can do your life's work. That's how it looks to me. By the time you're 50, ideally, always with an asterisk, there's exceptions. But in general, by the time you're 50, hopefully you've gotten your ass kicked enough by life to have had all the delusion, or not all, to have most of the delusion kicked out of you so that you can contribute to society in a positive way. And it only takes 50 years. <laughs> and then hopefully you've taken care of your body well enough that you have the energy to do it. Because if you're taking care of yourself, you know, you could easily work until you're 70. Uh, <clears throat> but if you haven't, then you just um, become, well, I mean, you, I don't have to tell you what you become. It's all around us. Because what I've just described is the exception, not the rule. So the, I'd say the most important thing, I've been thinking about this a lot recently with uh, hearing stories of, of employees reaching new levels of, of lows of irresponsibility and whatnot. If I had employees, if I hired employees these days, what I, the first thing I would say to them, I uh, would give them a very rigorous interview process. And then I would say, here's how we're going to start. We're going to assume you don't know anything about responsibility at all. Nothing. Zero. And I might give them some evidence for that. And I would say, it's, of course, it's not true that you don't know anything about responsibility. Uh, this is just going to be our perspective. We're going to pretend that you don't know anything at all and that this is your first job. And I'm not only going to give you work that you know is related to the business, that's the content of the work, but the context of this work is that you're going to learn how to be an employee because we're going to pretend that you don't know anything about it at all. In fact, I better say that before I hire them, right? I'd say, okay, here's the offer letter. Before you sign it, here's, I'd even write it down. I don't know how to use a test this. I don't know how to be an employee. And I surrender to my manager that they're going to teach me how. Because it seems to me that's the only way to get underneath. Uh, you know, I don't even know how well it would work entirely. It's the only way to get underneath the level of um, self-involvement and entitlement and delusion that is necessarily and goodly coming up in our world so that it can be worked, you see? So the, the entitlement and arrogance and uh, self-misjudging of the younger generations is not something I judge. I think it's absolutely necessary so that... Well, that's a whole other story. I actually think that the point of it is so that um, true, healthy self-interest can be found because that's the strength side of it, is that the younger generations are self-interested. You can't be entitled without self-interest. But that that self-interest drives wanting to make the world a better place and wanting their lives to be thrival-oriented, not just security, safety-oriented. The younger generations have seekerness in them. 
there's a lot of confusion about what they're actually seeking, but there's um, there's an aliveness that the older generations I don't think ever had. So I think the point of of all that entitlement and stuff coming out is so that it can come out to be addressed so that they can find some boundaries so that they can find out what they're actually seeking. So they need the boundaries of the older generations who get responsibility better than they do without taking on all of the, you know, tunnel vision, you know, excess need for safety, stagnation stuff of the older generations. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.